Well, good evening, Hallows Church. My name is Andrew. I serve as a pastor here. Let me invite you to grab your Bibles and turn them open to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. If you do not own a Bible, know that there's some provided in the pew in front of you to use. Uh, if, you, if you do not have one of your own, you can take one of the ones on the table in the back. But let that be our gift to you. Hebrews chapter 11. I've shared with you before about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's one of my heroes of the faith, which is why I bring him up from time to time. Uh, if you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, you know that he was a Christian leader who was eventually executed for resisting the Nazis in Germany during the World War II era. One of his biographers and scholars, a guy by the name of Professor Daniel Taylor, um, studied his life, and he points out that as a child, Bonhoeffer's life was shaped greatly by the stories that he read. There was one book in particular called Heroes of Every Day, and it was a collection of stories of courageous people who, according to Taylor, with selflessness and clear thinking, lived for the welfare of others. In fact, they often saved lives at the cost and the expense of their own. Well, that the impression that that book made on Bonhoeffer would carry him uh, far in life, and so he continued to read stories like that, so much so that even when he was in prison waiting his execution, he was reading a book called Plutarch's Lives, which explores, again, the courageous character of ancient figures. Well, Professor Daniel Taylor made this comment about Bonhoeffer's example. He said, can we doubt that Bonhoeffer's reading shaped his acting, including his decision to risk his life to save others? Ethics are more formed by the stories with which we surround ourselves than just by the rules that are drilled into us. Tell us what stories you value, and we have a good start on knowing who you are and how you will act in the world. Tell us the stories you value, and we will have a good start of knowing who you are and how you will act in the world. Well, here in Hebrews chapter 11, essentially what you have is a catalog of stories of faith. That this chapter contains a series of narrative summaries that are strung together in a, in a historical sequence that actually outlines God's big story of redemption. And those who are referenced in this chapter, the men and the women who's alluded to all throughout this chapter, they, they are those who made the best use of the time and the space God gifted them in this world. They are those who maximize the moments they had as they journeyed through the world that is en route to the world that is to come. So much so that according to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, they are described as comprising a cloud of witnesses. They are a, a cloud of witnesses and, and in a sense, each of their life stories bears witness to the faithfulness of God and the forging of a glorious future. That all of those story, all of their stories would strike notes that herald the faithfulness of God in the forging of a glorious future. You think about some of the men and women who are listed in this chapter, the story of Abel and Noah, the story of Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets, along with a host of unnamed others, they all shared in common the fact that they lived by faith in the faithfulness of God. And the author of Hebrews provides this chapter to us in, 
In my belief, his intention is for these stories to come around God's people in every generation. That these stories would come around us, surrounding us, and giving shape to who we are in this world. And giving shape to how we should act as we too journey through the world that is and we move towards the world that is to come. You see, each and every person in this room is going to carry forward a story of faith. Each and every person, whether you consider yourself a follower of Christ right now or not, you are carrying forward on some level a story of faith. And the question that you and I want to wrestle with as we study this chapter together over the next few weeks is we want to ask ourselves, are we going to be the, are we going to join those who have gone before us in bearing witness to the faithfulness of God in the forging of a glorious future? Will we make the most of the time and the space God gifts us with in this life? As we read through Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to notice one word popping up over and over and over again. It's the noun faith. It shows up 24 times. It is the thread that stitches all these individuals' stories together. But not only is faith the thread that stitches them together, faith is the thread that stitches all of these stories together with God's big redemptive story. With all that God is working out in the world for the welfare of his people as he's moving history along to the climax of history that would come with the arrival of the person of Jesus, the one who would live and die and rise again the one in whom all things will be reconciled, the one in whom all things will come to a crescendo when he returns, ushering in the new heavens and the new earth. And so this faith that is operative in the lives of each of these men and women and the stories that are summarized in Hebrews chapter 11, these are the stories that we're going to study over the next, over the next few weeks. And as you consider the introduction to the chapter, verses 1 through 3, understand that what you're reading there, and since it's so short, we'll read it again. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation, that is favor. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Understand that this introduction into this chapter, the foyer into all these stories that we're going to read about, these verses do not convey to us a technical definition of faith. I don't think these verses convey a, a thorough treatment of what Christians call faith. I don't think faith is being defined technically, but what I do think is going down is that faith is being described. The dynamics of faith are bursting through these first three verses. These dynamics of faith that would characterize the lives of the men and the women that we're going to study in the rest of the chapter. So you consider some of the dynamics of faith in light of what we've just read. Consider those two phrases found in verse 1. It says, now faith is, there are two phrases that are important. The the assurance of things hoped for, that's one. And the conviction of things not seen. These are two key phrases, and it's important to realize that they run parallel to one another. And to say that they parallel one another means that they work together to communicate one essentially one idea, one truth, one reality. And that is that faith, the dynamic of faith is that faith lives towards what one longs for. 
the dynamic of faith, the faith lives towards what is longed for. And if we consider that, then that means, as such, Christians are not the only people on the planet who live by faith. The reality is that every person on the planet hooks their lives to something in the hope that it will take them to a future that they desire. Everyone is living towards that which they long for. And we are hitching our lives to whatever we believe will take us to the future we desire. And when you consider how people think about the future and you consider how people live towards that which they are longing for, you, there's usually two traits of the future that we desire and that most people are longing for. One, we want a future that's marked by certainty. And we want a future that's marked by significance. We want certainty and significance. We want durability and substance in the future that we're moving towards and that we're longing for. You consider how some of, the, how some of us talk in the world that is and in our context and culture, we say things like, man, I just want to make it. I just want to make it in this world. Or you go one step further. Not only do we say, man, I just want to make it. We say, man, I just want to leave my mark on this world. So we want to make it and we want to mark it. And we're wondering whatever qualifies as making it in our minds and whatever qualifies as marking it in this world, that is what we're going to hitch our lives to. That is what we're going to put our faith in to bring us to the future we desire. You consider, for example, a highly ambitious professional. A highly ambitious professional who wants to make it in this world, one who wants to leave their mark upon this world. Perhaps they're one who wants to make a name for themselves, and maybe they have these dreams of a future where they can retire young and then take long and luxurious vacations. They, that's their future. That's what they desire, and they believe that if they work hard and put in the hours... If they put in the hours, go the extra mile, they can get the promotions needed, they can climb the corporate ladder, they can move towards that desired future. But it doesn't take very long for you and I to journey through this world and to work in this world to know that hard work and long hours do not necessarily mean promotions, right? They don't guarantee promotions. They do not guarantee advancement. And so if that's the future this young ambitious person desires, some semblance of faith is essentially required, right? They must live by faith as they stride towards the future they are longing for, as they believe that this is the route to take to get to their desired end. You see, what sets Christians apart isn't, so much, isn't the fact that we are people who live by faith, That's not what sets us apart. Everyone is living by faith. Everyone is living towards that which they are longing for. Everybody's seeking a future that is secure and substantial. What sets a Christian apart isn't that we are the only ones in the world who live by faith. What sets us apart is the content of our faith. It's the object of our faith. It's the one that we've hitched our lives to, that we're placing our hope in. It's the future that we're striding towards. It's not a future that we're dreaming up for ourselves it's a future that God has promised to forge out for us it's not that we live by faith it's the content of the faith of the faith that we're living by and what all the stories in Hebrews chapter 11 what all of them share in common is this element that all the men and women are living towards that which they are longing for, but they're all living towards and longing for this future that concerns 
the God who's revealed himself to them and the God who's made promises about them and a God who's forging out a future for his people, all the men and women in this chapter are moving in faith towards that goal, towards that end. I'll give you a couple of of examples. Drop down to verse 10 in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what is said there about Abraham, who's one of the guys whose stories will luck out in a couple of weeks. It says in verse 10 that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, foundations whose designer and builder is God. So he's moving towards a future. He's living towards what he's longing for. But what he's longing for is this city that is being designed and built by God. It's being forged out by his creator. Drop down to verse 13. You you hear a similar emphasis in these verses. The writer says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All the men and women described in Hebrews chapter 11 carried that, were living towards that future, the future that God was forging out for them. In other words, the future that they desired wasn't the figment of their own imagination. It wasn't a cultural aspiration. It wasn't some earthly goal or temporary outcome that they were seeking to achieve. And if they put in the right input, then they will attain it. No, the future they were longing for was the future God was forging out for them that was tied to the promises God made to them. And it all concerns this city, right? You have the metaphor of a city there in verse 10. You have it referred to again in verse 16. But notice Verse 10, how the city is described. It says, Abraham was looking to a city that has foundations. That this future, this city that is being talked about here, it is one with foundations. What does foundation speak to? Well, a foundation speaks to the very things we want to make up our future, right? Foundations provide security. Foundations provide stability. Foundations provide substance. This is the future God is forging out for his people. It is a city that has foundations, one that is stable and secure, one that is durable and significant. And that stands in contrast. It stands in contrast to the world as we experience now, a world that doesn't have secure foundations a world that doesn't have substantial foundations. We live in a world where all the foundations upon which people are building their lives are fragile. They can fracture. They're shakable. They're removable. They're destructible. And so we build our lives upon any foundation other than the one that God is forging out for us in the future. What happens? We're building our lives upon something that's unreliable. We're building our lives on something that is insecure, and insubstantial. For example, you take, for, let's say, your, your, your ultimate hope in life is to reach a point in your career where you can just coast and enjoy life and, and you're, you've 
put all your money in investing in your retirement plan and you've, you've banked your hope on this retirement plan that was outlined for you by some smart accountant and you cooperated with him or some financial advisor, but then you get to the end of the day and all of a sudden you find that that plan's not paying out what you anticipated it paying out and it's not able to do for you what you thought it would do for you. Well, let's think about some of the dreams and ambitions that we have about having a family and we put all of our hope in the existence of a family thinking this is stability, this is substance, but then you know as well as I do that that people pass, that suffering arises. And if we build our entire lives upon the security and the substance that comes by having and forming a family, we know that one day it's possible that our wife will pass, our husband will pass, we may lose a child, we may die. That that thing happens in this world. Why? Because every foundation that exists in this world is a fragile foundation. Every future that we are longing for, apart from the future that God is forging, is fragile, it is suspect, it doesn't come with firm, stable, secure foundations. But as you consider Hebrews chapter 11, as we seek what it, we try to discern what it means for us as followers of Jesus in this faith family to live by faith. We're saying, look, we're going to live towards that which we are longing for. And what we are longing for is the future God is forging out for us. A future that is secure and substantial. A future that's characterized by the city that has foundations. One whose designer and builder is God. So that's one dynamic of faith that we want to consider as we start this series, that faith lives towards what we are longing for. But of course, you know that that is kind of a future-oriented focus, right? It's living towards that which we are longing for. And and some of you may be thinking, well, if you put the accent so hard on this future orientation of where we're going, won't that render you uh, irrelevant and useless in the here and now? Will that cause you to live a life where you're so heavenly minded you have no earthly good? So you're just going to ignore the needs in the world as they are now. You're going to ignore meaning in life in the here and now. You're going to think, well, is there any point in investing in relationships? Is there any point in really going hard after a career or a job? And and so, yes, we want to affirm faith involves living towards what we're longing for. But the second dynamic of faith that we want to consider is that not only is faith living towards what we're longing for, the type of faith that is described in Hebrews chapter 11, the type of faith that is commended by God, the type of faith that corresponds with the gospel of God's grace is a faith that lives in light of what is longed for. That faith not only lives towards something, faith lives in light of something. Saying, if I know where my faith is placed and if I know that God is forging out a glorious future for me, what does that mean for my here and now? It means I'm free to fully be. It means I'm free to fully engage time and space in meaningful ways. It means I'm free to make sacrifices. I'm free to love radically. I'm free to what? Live by faith. So that when God steps onto the horizon of your life and he starts calling the shots and he calls you to do something that you might consider to be crazy, but it corresponds to be his will. You consider Abraham who's told in his story, look, I want you to leave your home and leave everything you know and go to a new world and a new land that I'm going to give you. And, 
Abraham doesn't really know where it is. He just starts walking. All of a sudden, that type of story, that type of testimony doesn't sound too crazy. What's Abraham doing? Well, on one hand, he's living towards what he's longing for, the promises that God has made to him, but he's also living in light of what he's longing for. And his faith in God is making a difference in his daily life. Bill Gates recently, or not too recently, gave an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. And in it, he's talking about faith and dynamics of faith. And he's considering how, in his mind, it makes sense to him why someone would believe in God, giving the evidence of creation and all that is around us. But then he draws a, he makes a statement about faith that I want to share with you and because I find it interesting and it might echo some of, the, some of the thoughts you have about faith right now. Bill Gates says in this interview that the, the mystery and the beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing. And there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, that does seem, you know, sort of, sort of an uncharitable view, he says. But then he says this. I think it makes sense to believe in God. But exactly what decisions in your life you make differently because of it, I don't know. But what you're going to find as we study Hebrews 11 together is that faith in God makes a difference in all sorts of decisions we're making on a daily basis. Because not only are we living towards something, we're living in light of something. Not only moving towards a reality, we're living in the light of that reality now. It makes a difference in all sorts of decisions that we're making in the here and now. Each of the stories that we're going to read about, each of these stories from Abraham to Rahab, all of these stories... You're going to find men and women making decisions on the basis of their faith in God. And some of those decisions are difficult. Some of those decisions are hard. Some of those decisions at first glance make utterly no sense. But they're making them. Why? Because their faith in God is making a difference. They're living in light of that which they are longing for. They believe God wants what's best for them. And they would rather obey God and, and walk by faith in God than, than obey anyone else or walk by faith in anything else. They're, they're just going for it, making all kinds of decisions. I'll give you one example. If you look down at verse 34, there's an allusion there to a story found in Daniel chapter 3. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's the story of three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living in a day where it's very hard for them to uh, carry out their faith because there's a guy in charge named Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar is, isn't fond of God, and he isn't fond of God's people. And, and there's a moment where Nebuchadnezzar actually sets up this huge golden statue, and he decrees, makes a law in the land that any time you hear the royal orchestra playing, uh, you are to bow down and look towards this statue and essentially worship it, adore it, pay homage to it. And, and so he sets up this visible golden statue and he makes this rule, this law in the land. But when the orchestra started to pray, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who believed in the God of Israel, who believed in the God that you could not see, trusting in the invisible creator, they refused to bow down and worship this golden statue. And because they did that, they were 
arrested by Nebuchadnezzar, and they were threatened with the fiery furnace. They were going to be put in this furnace and executed due to their defiance, due to their disobedience. Now, if, if faith in God doesn't make any discernible difference in the decisions we're making on a daily basis, if life in the here and now is utterly irrelevant to the life that we're moving towards in the future, why would Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put themselves in a position that would risk being burned alive for the sake of their faith in God? Well, it's because they know what true faith is. They, they have the faith that God commends. The faith that God commends isn't an intellectual faith. It isn't an entirely future-oriented faith. It is a faith that makes a difference in the decisions of our daily lives. And so what happens What happens is they step up and they have a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar and listen to what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He is able to save us from this furnace and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But then get this. So they declare that. They say, God is able, he will But listen to this. It sounds like they're hedging their bets. I don't think they're hedging their bet. I think they're living by faith. They're living towards towards what they're longing for. They're living in light of what they're longing for. And listen to what they say in the very next sentence. But even if he does not, even if God doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Even if he doesn't, it doesn't make any difference to me. Why? Because my faith is in the invisible God. My faith is in the creator of the universe. My faith is in the God who's made promises to me and my people. My faith rests in God, and I'm living towards the one that I'm longing for, and I'm living in light of the one that I'm longing for. So you toss me in this furnace, and I go down, it's all good. I'll just go join the one that I love. If God delivers me from this furnace, that's cool too. I'll just continue standing while everybody else is bowing. And you wonder, does faith in God really make a difference on daily decisions, on what you choose to do with your time, what you choose to do with your talents, what you choose to do with your treasures, what you choose to do with the time that you were given in this world and the space that you occupy in this world? Well, the faith you're going to see described in Hebrews chapter 11 is absolutely yes. The faith that God commends, the faith that corresponds with the grace of God towards his people is a dynamic faith. It is a faith that lives towards that which we are longing for. And it is a faith that lives in light of what we are longing for. So you find that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story. You're going to find that in all the stories that we're going to read in this chapter. That faith has this uncanny ability of bringing the future into the present and arranging our lives to live in in light of that which we believe. It is a dynamic faith. You'll, you'll hear this emphasized a, a couple of times explicitly in Hebrews 11. If you jump up to verse 38 of, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, if you jump up to verse 38, there's a verse there that the author quotes, and it's drawn from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and it's actually one of the most popular verses in the New Testament. It's one of the most popular Old Testament quotations. Writers of the New Testament love to quote this because it's so important. And listen to what he says in verse 38. Quoting the prophet who's speaking on behalf of God in the Old Testament, but my righteous one shall live by faith. 
my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He's saying, my righteous one, that is, those who are in right relationship with me, my people, those who belong to my covenant community, they live by faith. Their faith is operating. It's making a difference in their daily lives. And you drop down to verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. You hear a very similar thing there. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, that is God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That without faith, it's impossible to please him. If anyone is going to draw near to God, not only do we believe that he exists, we believe that he rewards those who what? Who seek him, who live towards him, who live in light of him, who are pursuing God. It's a dynamic faith. This is the type of faith that we want to live by. This is the type of faith that we want to characterize our stories as we journey through this world. A faith that is dynamic, not dead. A faith that is spiritually engaged, not intellectually cold. It's one thing to believe right truths about who God is. It's a whole other ballgame to allow those truths to give shape to the life you're living in the here and now. We want to be people, we want to be a church whose faith in God, whose understanding of who God is and what God is about and how God has loved us so well in Jesus, we want those realities to give shape to the lives that we're living right now. And when it does, you will find yourself living the most relevant life possible, engaging this earth in the most extraordinarily relevant ways imaginable. Because you will find yourself living towards and living in light of the greatest realities in the universe. Living towards and living in light of the beauty of our God and the promises of our God and the plans and the purposes of our God that concern a city with foundations that can't be shaken. That concern a city with lights that won't run dim. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth that God promises to usher into us as we live towards that reality and we live in light of that reality. This is the faith that God commends in verse 2 and it says, For by this type of faith people of old received their commendation. So let me ask you the question, what difference is your faith in Christ making right now? What difference is your faith in Christ making in your life right now? What decisions are you making today? What decisions are you making today that testify to your faith in the faithfulness of God in the forging of a glorious future? Are you making any decisions today that bear witness to your faith in the faithfulness of God to forge a glorious future? As you consider that question, I want to ask you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 because I want to show you a correlation between Ephesians chapter 2 and what is said about faith there and, and Hebrews chapter 11, what's said about faith and the passages that we're reading. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 are some of the most beautiful words in all of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, listen to what it said. Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You can't get any better than that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Meaning this type of faith comes to us by, as a gift from God 
by his grace. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. In other words, nobody should ever live by faith and then boast in their faith. As we live by faith, we're boasting in the grace of God who's giving us faith and increasing our faith and calling us to exercise faith, which can stretch our faith and grow our faith and build our faith. But we're not boasting in our faith. We're boasting in grace. So it says this faith is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And usually Christians are quite familiar with verses 8 and 9. We kind of love that. But I would encourage you to keep going into verse 10 because Paul's not done. After describing the reality of salvation by grace through faith, which usually encourages us about the future, listen to what Paul says about the present. Listen to what Paul says about living in light of this reality, verse 10. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, referring to God. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. That's a word, meaning essentially we are God's Uh, art exhibit in this world. He's manifesting the beauty of his character by the work he's producing in us as as he's creating this in Christ Jesus. But then he says this is the purpose, ultimately for good works, that you would be about good works right now. That there are good works God has called each, that God has prepared for each and every one of us to walk in. How do you walk in those good works? Well, you walk by faith. You trust God that whatever he's calling you to do, And you do, that he's prepared good works for you to walk in, and you're walking in these good works by faith. He's saying that the faith that saves you is a faith that not only carries the dynamic of living towards what you're longing for, but it involves living in light of what you're longing for, and with that comes works and purpose and good things that you are to do in this world to the glory of your God who's forging out a wonderful future for you and for all of his people. And these good works sometimes require sacrifices to be made. These good works require risks to be taken. But they're sacrifices we make and they are risks that we take. Why? Because we trust God to forge out a glorious future. We're not sweating anything that we might lose in this world. We're not sweating anything that might be taken from us in this life. We know God's got us. That's the type of faith being described in Hebrews 11. And that's the type of faith that corresponds with grace, the grace of the gospel. This is why when you come back to Hebrews chapter 11 and you move to the end of the chapter and you step into Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, where does the writer tell you to fix the eyes of your faith? He says, well, I want you to fix the eyes of your faith on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the founder and the finisher or perfecter of your faith. God's grace comes to us through Jesus, so we look to him, and as we're looking to Jesus, faith is swelling up within us, and we're living towards the one we long for. We're living in light of the one that we long for. We are fixing our, the eyes of our faith upon Jesus, and he's shedding his grace into our lives, and he's writing a story of faith through our lives that may be stitched together with all the stories of faith that you'll read about in Hebrews 11, one that might be stitched into the grand story of God's redeeming agenda in the world in which you live. Some of you may hear that, and you're thinking, well, I I look at myself in a mirror, and I don't think there's much in me that God has to work with. Maybe you feel insecure about your ability to live out, to live by faith, or that God would actually want you to do good works, and he's prepared good works for you to do, and you 
look yourself in the mirror and you th- you're too insecure or, or you perhaps you consider yourself too marginalized. Maybe you're, you're a member of a minority group in this country and you're wondering, well, my voice won't be heard in a place like this. I don't know. I'm too marginalized to really make a difference. Or maybe you think, well, uh, I'm just, I'm, my reputation as a sinner is too, is too big. People know what I'm about. They know what I've been about. There's no way I, a story of faith may be written in me. There's no way I can move towards these realities and live in light of them because my reputation as a sinner are too, is too big. Or maybe you consider your age. You're wondering, well, you know, I've, I've given my life to this for the past 30 years and now I'm in a stage of life where I don't know how many more days I have left and I'm wondering, you know, what's the point of really giving myself to something now? And if you're wondering those types of questions and you're thinking, it, can, I, can a story of faith really be written in my life? You, you come back to Hebrews chapter 11 and you consider how insecure a lot of these men and women were. How fearful a lot of these men and women were. You consider how the age of some of these men and women as Abraham and Sarah were called to do something that they believed they were too old to do when they were called to do it. You consider Rahab a prostitute who was a reputable sinner. All these men and women had reasons that we could point to as disqualifiers for a story of faith being written through them, but yet they are precisely the men and women that God called by his grace and who exercised faith, and they're now written in the storyline of the scriptures. And they're surrounding us as a great cloud of witnesses to encourage people like you and I. So if you think, well, I just don't have much to work with, not only consider the stories that, are, that we're going to learn about in Hebrews 11, consider verse 3. Consider the power of God in verse 3, where, where we read, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And you remember that if God can brought the, brings the universe into existence out of nothing through the word of his power, what do you think God can produce in you with that very same word? What might God bring into being in you and through you that you might think right now currently doesn't exist? You see, the same creative word that spoke the universe into existence is recreating you and it's recreating me and it's bringing us into this life of faith so that we might be stitched into the story of God's grace and be used by him as we journey through the world that is en route to the world that is to come. And so as we take this journey together over the next few Weeks, I want your life as an individual, your story of faith, your story of faith to be stitched into the, the story of God's redeeming grace. I want our story as a church to be stitched into the story of God's redeeming grace. I want us to be a people who live towards what we're longing for and who live in light of what we're longing for. Four. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider these dynamics, I pray that your grace would abound. I pray that your grace would undergird our faith in this moment. And if, if we're sitting here and our faith just seems anemic, it's not very strong, it's not very vibrant right now, I pray that you would breathe your promises into, into our faith, that you would shed your grace abroad into our lives to intensify our faith or better yet to relocate our faith so that we would put our faith in you and your promises and that we would put our faith 
in all that you promise to be for us in the person and the work of Jesus, all that you promise to produce for us as a result of the Savior, I pray that you would call our faith to yourself, that we would put our faith in you and we would live accordingly. God, I pray that if you were nudging hearts this evening to hearts of your people to move in a certain direction, if, if they are hesitant for, because of fear or hesitant because of insecurity, I pray, Lord, that you would speak a word of assurance, speak a word of promise, speak a word to reassure to reassure them so that they might live out the faith that you've called them to. God, would you write stories of faith all across this room that would sink into, that would sink into the story of your redeeming grace. God, we love you and we ask that you would do all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.